And as they head out, I'll invite you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 4 in your Bible or Pew Bible or whatever digital device people have this week. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. As you're finding that section of Scripture, I want you to consider the fact that people love praise and hate criticism. People love praise and hate criticism. I remember hearing an interview with a young man who had been um, I don't know, awarded teacher of the year for the whole country. I think this was several years ago. And he, during the interview, the interviewer was asking him some of his techniques, how he does so well with the kids. I think he might've been a middle school teacher. And he said, one of the tex- techniques that he uses is praise. And he gave a small example that if a kid were to give him a piece of gum sometime, if he said, do you have some gum? And he gave him some gum. If he patted him on the back and said, man, you are awesome. You always have gum. I can always count on you to have gum. And I love that about you. That that kid would probably always make sure to have gum every day thereafter because he really liked that praise, even for something as silly as having gum. And it's true. And we can see it in our lives. We love to be praised. We hate to be criticized. I think this is one of the reasons why research shows that Facebook users check their posts upwards of 14 times a day because they're so eager to see how people have responded to them. If people like them, if people see their pictures and think they're great, or if people say something negative, they're always monitoring for praise or criticism. I think that's one of the things that fuels all the social media. I think this is one of the reasons why many among us fear public speaking more than almost anything else. Anybody in here fear public speaking? Come up here and tell us about it. (laughs) When you're up here, you're basically standing in front of potential critics. And you're exposing yourself to criticism. Other people love being in the spotlight because standing in front of potential critics, you also expose yourself to the potential of being praised. So you see people fearful of public situations like this, and then you see people running toward public situations like this. We love praise. We hate criticism. I think this might be part of what causes some of our social anxiety. Many of us struggle with social anxiety because it's a lot of people to, to navigate and we don't want to look bad. Not all social anxiety comes from that, but some of it does. I think this is why even nonviolent bullying is so damaging. Like all the online bullying that takes place with our young people today, none of that is actually physically violent, but yet it's devastating. And we have kids that'll commit suicide because of it. Because sticks and stones may break our bones, but praise or criticism can either break our heart or make our day. We love praise. We hate criticism. Now, this passage today, I I find it very interesting Um, I'll give you a little background before we read it. It's taking place while the Apostle Paul is in the midst of just a swirling vortex of both praise and criticism. He's writing to the Christians in Corinth, the church in Corinth. This is a church that he planted. He went there and stayed there for roughly 18 months and planted this church. He is the spiritual father to these people. But then in the time since his absence, after he moved on to take the gospel elsewhere, a really gifted teacher named Apollos 
emerge from within the congregation. Or actually, he didn't emerge from within. He came from a, a very highly educated background into the congregation. So where Paul, by his own testimony in Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2, he was um, understated speaker and teacher. Uh, there's even a section of scripture that says in one of his times with his people teaching that somebody fell asleep who was sitting in a windowsill and fell out. So he wasn't dynamic. He probably wasn't all that eloquent. He said that he came to the Corinthian church in fear and trembling. So that was Paul's example. That's their spiritual father. And then this guy, Apollos, came. And from all accounts, he was amazingly gifted at teaching. He was probably dynamic and eloquent and captivating. And we love a good teacher. So Apollos had gained quite a following within the church. And then others wanting to take up for Paul were saying, "Uh uh-uh, Paul's better. And two groups were emerging and division was splitting into the church. There were the Paul fans and the Apollos fans. Paul fans would show up with their I heart Paul t-shirts on. Apollos fans would show up with their I heart Apollos shirts on. It was like Ford versus Chevy, Chapel Hill versus Duke, only much more serious because it was literally dividing brothers and sisters from one another. One of them would champion Paul, the other would champion Apollos. It was becoming a real problem. And I can tell you, as a minister, we ministers, I can probably speak for Paul and Apollos, are very vulnerable to hypersensitivity to praise or criticism of our ministries. When When you're a minister, you're laying your heart out there constantly. You give more thought to your ministry than almost anything else in your life. So criticism of your ministry cuts deep and praise of your ministry can really inflame pride. So this, Paul was definitely vulnerable to the effects of all this praise and all this criticism. His fans praising him, Apollo's fans criticizing him in comparison to Apollo's. And that's the situation he's writing into. Okay, so read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Verses 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Knowing the situation that Paul is writing into, knowing how sensitive all human beings are to praise or criticism, knowing how especially sensitive a minister is toward praise and criticism of his ministry, knowing all this, how can Paul say what he says in verse 3 with integrity and honesty? Look at what he says. But with me, it is a very small thing 
that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Can you guys say that? Is it a small thing what others think of you? Or is it a big thing? To most of us, the opinions of others are like a roaring lion in our ears. But Paul's saying it's just a little gnat. It's not a big deal. I think he's saying that because he knows something that's very true. Human judgment is insignificant compared to Jesus' judgment. All human judgment is insignificant compared to Jesus' judgment. Now, the word judged and judgment is used several times in the passage. It means to evaluate, to investigate. And I've used the word praise and criticism because the greater context of what's going on, that's what he's addressing. When we praise or when we criticize, we are passing judgment. Whichever one we're doing, we are being judgmental in a literal sense. It's as though we're the ones giving the performance evaluation and whoever it is we're praising or or criticizing is there to be subject to our praise or criticism. It's different from friendship. It's the language of fans and critics, not the language of friendship. So what Paul isn't saying is he never cares what anyone ever says to him ever. The Lord gives us brothers and sisters in Christ who can encourage us and help us to see where we're gifted or admonish us and help us see where we're sinning that we might not see it. Those are good things. That's the language of of friendship and fellowship. He's talking about the language of fans and critics. And he's saying he just doesn't care. He doesn't care what they think. Now, he's not being arrogant and he's not, this isn't bravado. He's not saying, I don't care what you think. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I don't need y'all's approval. Go listen to Apollos. I don't care. It's not that kind of attitude. It's just a straightforward statement reflecting the true nature of reality. Human judgment is insignificant when compared to Jesus' judgment. And you can tell that he's not just being arrogant and it's not bravado about what he goes on to say. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. And then he goes on to say, in fact, I do not even judge myself. I don't care what you think. I don't care what I think. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. All human judgment is inherently unreliable, including our own judgment about ourselves. Now, I'm not talking about all judgment. Remember the context. I'm talking about judgments of praise or criticism about the people around us, the people on the stage, or even ourselves. Why is all human judgment inherently unreliable, even our own judgment about ourselves? Well, the passage tells us. First, we see in the passage that human judgment is premature. Our judgment is premature. Look at the first part of verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. So the Corinthian Christians were, in essence, judging Paul and Apollos. And some were saying, Paul's better. 
His ministry is better. Some were saying, Apollos is better. His ministry is better. But the Paul critics, as time went on, could have been proven wrong. As time went on, it might have turned out that all of Apollos, all of his followers were withering spiritually, and all of Paul's were abundantly fruitful. They had only had these two men in their lives for a couple of years. It was premature to pick one over the other and pit one against the other. Paul's fans could have been proven wrong. Paul's ministry could have proven fruitless, and Apollos's could have been proven fruitful. They hadn't had enough time to tell. More than that, people who were holding Paul up and almost worshiping him, what if Paul, later in life, 10 years later, 15 years later, committed some disqualifying sin? What if Paul had made some huge moral lapse? We've seen that happen, haven't we? Have you ever heard of a popular pastor, popular preacher, speaker, minister, Christian leader who amassed a huge following of popular appeal only to blow it later in life? We think of the Bakers. We think of a guy named Ted Haggard. Uh, In my own life, there are two men I've learned a good bit from who are contemporary preachers and pastors now. One's named C.J. Mahaney. Another one's name is Mark Driscoll. Uh, I've learned a lot from these guys, and both of them, one more recently than the other, now are facing all kinds of allegations of arrogant, um, disrespectful mistreatment of people around them. You know, when these things happen, if we've put too much stock in a man, it can be really, really shattering to us. It can leave us disillusioned and extremely discouraging. And Paul is saying, whoa, 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 don't get too caught up in either of us. I'm nothing. Apollos is nothing. Jesus is everything. Don't pass judgment before the time. People are in progress. Every person you meet, every person you see is in progress. I am in progress. The people beside you, behind you, in front of you here are in progress. They're not done yet. So we don't need to pass judgment yet on anyone. Passing judgment on someone is like a movie critic reviewing the movie halfway through before it's even finished. What kind of review is that going to be? It's going to be unreliable. Human judgment is unreliable in this sense because it's premature. To put it in a, I'm a movie guy, but some of you are golf guys. I'll put it in a golfing analogy. You know, in golf, I've seen some of it on TV whenever I go over to David's house after church for lunch. We all take a good nap when it's on. They they hit the ball off the tee and it soars through the air and everybody watches it. And it's in midair. And they don't know where it's going to end up. You might think you do, but maybe a gust of wind takes it the other way or a bird hits it. I don't know if that's ever happened, but it, I'm sure it could. You don't know where it's going to be until it hits the ground, it rolls, and it stops. And then you know, then you know what kind of shot it was. But you don't know what kind of shot it was for sure while it's soaring through the air. And all of us, every living human is in midair. We don't know enough to judge. But Jesus will judge at the right time. Now, one very specific application of this that I think is appropriate for us. And not pointing out any specific person, but it's something I've heard a good bit among us and seen a lot. I feel like I'm talking a lot about Facebook, but you see a lot of people 
some true colors coming out on Facebook sometimes. Christians ought never complain about people. Let's, let's just put that off this morning and never do it anymore. Let's just not complain about people. Wouldn't that alone set us apart as Jesus' followers? You know, the guy that cuts you off going down the road, you don't know where he's coming from or where he's going. That waitress that did a sloppy job or seemed rude, you don't know where she's coming from or where she's going. We don't know enough to pass judgment, to critique. It's not our place, and it's not time for that yet. So human judgment is premature. That's why it's insignificant compared to Jesus's. He will judge when the time is right. The other reason in this passage that human judgment is insignificant compared to Jesus is that human judgment is superficial. Let's look back at verse 5 again. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. There are two things we don't know about the people around us that should make us very humble in forming judgments about them. We don't know their secrets and we don't know their motives. We don't know the things hidden in darkness and we don't know the purposes of their hearts. We can't see that well into the souls and lives of the people around us unless they open that up to us. And that, again, is what real fellowship and friendship in the body of Christ should look like. But that's only, you know, for a couple, a couple of people. How many people really know you? How many people know your deepest, darkest secrets? Do you have any secrets that the people right now that are sitting in front of you or behind you are unaware of that if they knew might drastically change their perception of you? And that is not always bad stuff either. It could be sins in your past that Christ has forgiven you for, but still kind of haunt you and you don't wear it on your sleeve. And it's, it's in the past anyway, it's nobody's business, but it affected you. The consequences have affected you and still affect you. And people don't know that about you. And if they did know it, it might change how they looked at you. Or it might not be sin. It might be uh, some pain in your past. Something that's been done to you or happened in your life or your family that has scarred you and, and drastically hurt you. And again, it's not something that's everybody's business, but it's affected you and it's, it's affected the way you deal with people and, the, and your trust level with people and it made you how you interact with people. If people knew that, their opinion of you might drastically be changed or, or it may be some habit or it may be some dream or hope that you have or some aspiration or something that you're working on that people just don't know about, that's a positive thing. And if they knew about it, it might drastically change their perception of you. Probably all of us in here have some secrets. Now, secret sounds negative, but it's just things that are, you know, not necessarily meant to be out all the time. Now, if you have some of those things, you can pretty much be guaranteed that everybody else does too. And you don't know what they are. But Jesus does. See, when we pass judgment on people, we do it without all the information. But when Jesus comes, he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. You know, from my vantage point as a pastor, 
I get to see beneath the surface in a lot of people's lives. And I can, I can tell you from that experience and that privilege that everybody you run into has some heavy struggle that they are dealing with. It's all varieties and all different ways of dealing with them. And they manifest themselves in, in a billion different ways. For some, it makes them depressed and inward. For others, it makes them bright and outward and, and seeking distraction from it. The fact is, we don't always know what's going on beneath the surface. And so we need to be patient with one another. And we need to be patient with the people that we come into contact with. And we need to give people the benefit of the doubt. Because we don't know. And when people praise us or criticize us, we need to take that with a grain of salt because they don't really know. It may be that if they really knew deep down to the depths of our past and our history, they might not praise us so much. You remember Paul who wrote this, Before he became a Christian, you remember what he was doing? He was taking part in the murder of Christians. Put that in a modern context, he might have been a part of something similar to ISIS before Jesus saved him. So you can rest assured he had horrible memories of things he was a part of. We know for a fact, because it's recorded in Scripture, that he was holding everyone's coats while they stoned Stephen to death, the first Christian martyr on record. That's where they, they all get stones and they throw and hit a man with them until he dies. Brutal. You can bet he saw some terrible things and took part in some terrible things. Now these Corinthian Christians, you know, they didn't know all those things, all those images that maybe flashed back into his mind as he tried to fall asleep. So maybe as he penned this, he thought, don't praise me. You don't know just how bloody my hands were before Christ. I am nothing. Apollos is nothing. Jesus is everything. So we don't know everybody's secrets and we don't know everybody's motives. He goes on to say, when the Lord comes, he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Sometimes people do things that seem hurtful but they're well-intentioned. They didn't mean to say that hurtful thing or step on that, those toes or uh, insert themselves in that situation where it wasn't their business. They, were, they were thought they were doing something right and loving. You can't always know people's motivations for the things they do. Other times, people do things that seem great, but from filthy motivations. You know, they, they are some of the most prominent do-gooders, but yet their motivations may be to look good. It may be selfish ambition. It may be trying to paper over a guilty conscience for some sin in their life. We don't know. You know, the Pharisees did a lot of really good things. You know, back then, if you thought of who would be the moral religious elite, it'd be the Pharisees. And Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Because on the outside, they looked great, but on the inside, it was like they were full of dead men's bones. And we don't know that stuff about everybody. Now, again, in close Christian fellowship with some brothers and sisters who really know you and you really know them, then you can get to that level. But most people you're not at that level with. Now, I'll give you a very personal example of this. I love the fact that I get to preach and teach and counsel from God's word. I really, really enjoy this. It's my favorite thing. 
that I get to do as a pastor. Now, I have thought that my motivations were pretty good. You know, I, I love God, I do, and I love you. But something happened recently to open up my eyes to this huge blind spot of sinful motivation for my preaching, teaching, and counseling. And something happened that just, just made me feel threatened in that. Like somebody might be better at that than me. And all of a sudden, it was like fear welled up in me and jealousy and like, uh-uh, it's mine. What is that all about? That is revealing the fact that I didn't even understand my own motivations. I thought I was purely motivated, and I have selfish motivations. I'm sure there's selfish motivations intermingled even with me confessing that to you. The heart is a deep and mysterious and murky thing. We ought not pretend that we understand someone. We need to be humble in how we judge people. We need to be humble in how we judge ourselves. But Jesus knows. And when he comes, he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and he will disclose the purposes of the heart. This is why human judgment is inherently unreliable. This is why human judgment is insignificant compared to Jesus' judgment. Now, there's really good news. Our standing with God doesn't have to be on the basis of, of our credit, of our merit. In Jesus Christ, our sins can be fully forgiven and washed away clean. When Jesus returns and he brings to light all the things hidden in darkness and all the purposes of our hearts, none of us will have to be undone who are in Jesus Christ because God will look at us and he won't see Matt Broadway so compromised by sinfulness. He'll see Matt Broadway, his son, perfect, cleansed, holy, righteous in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we are free from all of this. In Jesus, we are free from the pressures of performance. In Jesus, we are free from the, the persuasion of praise. In Jesus, we are free from the sting of criticism. And we're freed to serve. And I want to close by ratcheting back up to the first verse in this passage. In the midst of all this praise and criticism, Paul says, this is how one should regard us. This is how one should regard me and Apollos. Cephas was another guy that had a following, Peter. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards is like a manager, someone that is entrusted with something that they need to take care of. We're all just servants of Christ. That's all anybody needs to know about us. We're servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. We're slaves and managers of what God has given us. So if you're someone who struggles with what the Bible calls fear of man, people pleaser, socially anxious, or maybe arrogant and proud and puffed up because people tend to praise you, Maybe down on yourself and overly introspective and depressed because you feel like you don't add up. It's an invitation to just shed all of that off. 
We don't have to worry about that stuff in Christ. When people praise us, we serve because we're servants of Christ. When people criticize us, we serve. When our Facebook blows up, people loving everything we post, we serve. When nobody says anything about what we post and our phone never rings and we feel insignificant, we serve. When we get embarrassed by something silly that we did, we serve. When we're in social situations that makes us anxious, we serve. When we're bullied, we serve. Because human judgment is premature and superficial and therefore insignificant. Jesus is our judge. And as Paul said in that passage I read at the beginning, all things are ours. Whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Jesus is our judge. So let's serve him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this bit of extremely practical and helpful truth from your word. Please make all this clear to us and plain to us. Help us to discern the difference between praise and criticism versus loving friendship and encouragement and admonition. Help those in here who are shackled by slavery to the perceptions of others or to their own self-perceptions. Help them to break free of that by the blood of Jesus Christ and to live in the joyful self-abandon of servitude to him. Help us to see human criticism and judgment and praise for what it is, insignificant. But help us to see Jesus's judgment for what it is of ultimate significance. May we all be found in that day safe, secure in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.